My search for answers is only possible thanks to the listeners. To learn more about how you can donate to this podcast, please visit patreon.com slash smalltownhorror. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash s-m-a-l-l-t-o-w-n-h-o-r-r-o-r. Every town has its stories, its secrets. What possible harm could come from sharing them? Hmm? This is Small Town Horror. My name is Ryan Jennings. Small Town Horror is a bi-weekly podcast documenting my return to Creighton, Minnesota, and my search for answers. Each episode is recorded and posted in order as it happens to me. For more details, please listen to all previous episodes. I went to sleep sober last night for the first time in... I don't know how long. Normally since receiving those tapes in the mail, I've needed at least a beer to slow my mind down enough so I could fall off into some sort of fitful sleep. Since moving into the motel, I haven't heard any other sounds at night. But that hasn't made sleeping any easier. I was up until at least two in the morning, either watching paid programming on cableless TV or staring at the slow rotation of the ceiling fan. I swear it moves so slow, I'm pretty sure it actually makes the room hotter when it's on. It's a quiet, sick desperation that sits heavy on my chest. The familiarity of the place mixed with the anxiety that comes from something forgotten. It's a dream about loss. I spend most of my time on my laptop looking up anything I can on the Sinners game. But the only thing that shows up are the last two episodes of the podcast, and even that isn't until the third Google search page. No one has anything to say about it. No help. Instead, I tried to look up Stephen Alderman. I never knew him personally. I was only six or so when he disappeared, supposedly after playing the Sinners game. The name Alderman doesn't yield anything helpful. I should know better. The only way to find out anything in Creighton is to ask the people who live here. There's only one person in the Creighton police station when I enter. There is a matronly-looking woman, maybe in her fifties, with eyes that light up when she speaks. A pair of reading glasses sits on the edge of her nose as her focus is on something she's in the process of knitting. I don't see any police officers around. I didn't see any when I first came in to get the recording of my kidnapping report either, though Joy assured me that she would let the ambiguous chief know. Oh, hi, Ryan. How are you? Um, fine, Joy. Thanks. What can I do for you? I know this is going to sound weird, but do you know where I could find the Aldermans? Joy stops knitting and looks up from her glasses. She tries to play it off, but I can see she knows exactly what I'm talking about. Is this for your radio show? Yeah, 
I guess, sort of. I was just hoping to get a couple of minutes to ask them a few questions. Oh, Ryan. Well, Jim Alderman, Stephen's dad, may he rest in peace, passed away about six years ago, and his mom, Wendy, went to stay at the retirement home in Bemidji. Oh, thanks, Joy. I'll check that out. Oh, uh, Ryan, that's not going to work. She, I mean, the retirement home burned down. Oh, God, did she? No, no, she she made it out because of, well, never mind. But she's been in the hospital ever since. She was admitted for smoke in her lungs. She's been in pretty rough shape ever since, though. I don't know if she's going to be up to talking. What choice do I have? Since coming back to town, I haven't exactly been inundated with information. I have to find it wherever it might be. And if there's something that Wendy Alderman can tell me about her son's disappearance, maybe it can open up some answers. Or maybe it'll all turn out to have been some sort of joke. Maybe this has only ever happened to me. If that's the case, then there really is nothing here for me. When I find Mrs. Alderman's room, the idea that I'm going to get any answers fades in front of my eyes. Stephen was about 12 years older than me, which made me think that Mrs. Alderman would be about 12 years older than my dad was. But the woman lying in the hospital bed before me looks like she's... too old. There's so little of her. She can't be more than five feet tall. And what little is exposed above the bed sheets gives me the impression she can't weigh more than 70 pounds. A sharp nose and cheekbones poke out from skin that seems to both sag and be pulled tight against her skull. Long stringy white hair hangs in thin strands from her visible scalp. Her head's turned to look out the window. The rhythmic beeping of the heart monitor is the only readily apparent indication of her being alive. I can't even see her chest rise as she takes a breath. Mrs. Alderman? I double-checked the name outside the door. The room's the same number the woman at the nurse's station gave me. Mrs. Alderman, I'm very sorry to bother you. My name is Ryan Jennings. I don't know if we've ever met, but I'm from Creighton. The words get lost in a jumble somewhere between my brain and my mouth. On the ride over, I thought about what I'd say explain what I was looking for, but I didn't plan on looking in on a woman who looks so far gone. Mrs. Alderman? I walk around the bed and interrupt her line of sight out of the room, expecting that she'll at least look up in annoyance. She doesn't. I sit in the chair next to the bed and can't seem to take my eyes off of her. Her breath is so shallow. The beep of the monitor is so steady that it almost lulls me to sleep. I wait for about ten minutes before standing to leave. It's only as I get to the door that I give it one more try. Maybe I'll just leave a note with the nurses, for if she ever appears lucid. Mrs. Alderman, I just wanted to ask you about Stephen. If there's anything you remember from when he disappeared, I think that I... (laughs) 
Mrs. Alderman? Nothing. She just started laughing. What? As the nurse stares incredulously at me, a set of hands pushes me into the hall as the doctor and nurses swarm around her bed and close the door. I'm left in the hallway completely confused as to what just happened. My feet carry me to the elevator, not knowing what else to do. A little worried that I just gave the woman a stroke. When I hear the same nurse from the room call after me. Hey... Hey, Ryan. Uh, I'm sorry. Sarah? Like everyone else in town, I haven't seen Sarah since I left. Even earlier than that, actually. She was a year behind me in school, and we'd flirted a little bit at school functions, but had never gone beyond that. She definitely didn't look to be in a flirtatious mood. What the hell were you doing in there? I just wanted to talk with her talk with her. She doesn't know anything about what happened to you. Just save it. I know all about why you came back. Sorry about your dad, by the way. Thanks. I really didn't mean to mess anything up. She didn't even flinch until I mentioned her son. What do you she talked to you? No. She just started laughing. Why? Brian... She hasn't said a word to anyone since she was transferred here last year. She's in a vegetative state. She's been kept alive in accordance to her living will. But her eyes were open. That's that's common in a vegetative state, but she's not responsive. Is she going to be okay? Well, she's stabilized now. Still unresponsive. Oh. Why are you telling me any of this? Well, um... Do you have time to talk later? Sarah asks to meet me for a drink after a shift. It's almost midnight before she got there. I've been milking a soda for the last hour. I felt nauseous since seeing... No. Since hearing Miss Alderman. And having a gut full of Jim Beam rolling around inside of me can wait until later. Sarah, on the other hand, orders a whiskey neat from the bar before sitting down. It's good to see her in a much different way than how it was good to see Roger. She's changed out of her flower print scrubs and into jeans and a gray v-neck t-shirt. Long jet black hair hangs down past her shoulders and her dark brown eyes stare at me with what I take to be a mix of familiarity and doubt. It makes me feel a little bit more at ease knowing that I don't have to explain to her why I've come back to Creighton. Not drinking? Not yet. Suit yourself. Why didn't you want to talk at the hospital? So much for small talk. I mean, I work there. This isn't about work. What's it about? Ryan, you shouldn't be doing this. This podcast. You think I should leave too? Well, who else thinks you should leave? Doesn't matter. Do you think I should leave? This isn't about staying. You don't go digging into this stuff. It's been a long time. I deserve to know the truth. Deserve's got nothing to do with this. You can do all the searching you want, but you posting this stuff is like just gonna open up old wounds for people. 
This isn't just about you. You, as much as anyone knows how many people in Creighton deal with losing loved ones. I mean, come on. You named your podcast Small Town Horror? Don't you think that's just a little insulting? Do you think that's the attention people want? Point out to the world what they don't have answers to. Why are you doing this? I mean, why are you posting this? Did you become that self-involved when you were gone? Maybe I should have had a drink. I definitely didn't see that coming. I sit there silent like a scolded child trying to think of what to say. I want to tell her that I'm selfish. That I started this thinking it could be something it's not. Some sick attempt at staying in some form of broadcast media. But none of that matters anymore. Not since the laughter came back. So I tell her why I'm still doing this. Still recording. Still posting. The only why that's left. I don't sleep much anymore. And when I do, I have nightmares. In them, I can't see anything. All I hear is laughing. Eventually, the laughter turns into crying. That's when I realize that I'm awake and I'm the one crying. Getting those tapes in the mail was bad. But since staying in Dad's house, I'm scared all the time. Day and night, I'm terrified of everything. I'm so scared of waking up back in that room, chained down. If I record this, if I post this, people will know. Someone can come find me. Maybe someone can save me. If I post this, that makes it real. We sit in shared silence for a while, me slowly spinning a glass of soda in front of me, Sarah downing the rest of her whiskey. I have no idea how you're not drinking right now. (laughs) Uh, Because sometimes when you hear people laughing, all you can do in response is say, fuck you. When you left, people talked about you. I figured. Do you want to know what they said? Not really. Are you sure it wasn't all some really bad joke? Maybe someone was just messing with you when you played the game. All right. Let's put aside getting those tapes in the mail after Dad died. And besides hearing those sounds when I came back home. And besides whatever the hell just happened with Miss Alderman. Suppose none of that happened. If it had been someone else who'd been taken and chained to a floor, like a woman... Would you still ask her if she thought it might have been some dumb joke? No, I'm sorry. Probably not. I know what I went through. It wasn't a joke. I think I'll have that drink now. We sit there until near bar close. I tell her about the tapes, about running, where I ran to. 
I eventually even tell her the story about how I met Peter, the guy who reads the intro to the podcast, huddled outside of a tent on the Appalachian Trail, how he got involved in the podcast, but that's a story in itself. I have problems making eye contact with people. I always did growing up, but more so after I left Creighton. It's the worst when I'm talking about myself. I have the habit of playing with something like a glass or ketchup bottle, whatever's in front of me in order to distract myself, but with Sarah, it's different. She isn't just waiting to talk. She's really listening. It's nice. Then I tell her about the sound I recorded, about the laughs. So you actually got the file? All 13 laughs? Yep. Have you listened to it? Some of it. Not all. Man, how could you not have listened to all of them? Seriously? Remember that part about my waking up crying every morning? I don't even know how I got through the files I did. No, no, no. I'm not talking about putting you through more pain or, like, it's therapy, but, I mean, you came back for answers. There's got to be some clues in the laughs. If there was something there, Tim would have said so. Tell you what. I'll give him a call tomorrow. I'll see if he's done anything else with the audio. Well, would you care if I listened to them? Why do you want to listen to them? I thought you wanted me to stop all this. Because I remember the part about you waking up crying every morning. Sarah follows me back to my motel room and sits at the small table in the corner of the room with headphones on as she stares at my laptop, clicking through the files Tim sent me. It's a small room, so it's not exactly like I can busy myself with other things as she listens to each voice. There's a half-empty bottle of beam in the bathroom, and it takes no small amount of self-control to not go over there and make a dent in what's left. It takes her about ten minutes to click through the files, and as she finally takes off the headphones, I can't bring myself to look her in the eyes. So? Uh, I don't know what to say. I know the feeling. You didn't hear anything, did you? Besides the laughter? No. So what'd you think? There's just gotta be some explanation for this. Yeah. So you didn't find anything in the house that night? No. I checked everywhere. There was no one. Have you gone back? I'm never going back there. When the paperwork's all taken care of, I'm putting it up for sale. I don't know how much longer I can stay here. I I better get going. Uh, okay. Um, thanks. For listening. I mean, of course. Uh, I just wish I could have helped. Hey, Ryan... Take care of yourself. I've been getting that a lot lately. No, but I mean it. If you need anything, just let me know. 
You don't have to go through this alone. We sit there for a couple of minutes, each of us moving as if trying to say something, but in the end, neither of us talking. Eventually, she looks at her phone and stands up. We say goodnight, and I watch her car taillights disappear down the road. I don't drink after she leaves. I just lay there staring at the ceiling. But it's anything but silent. It's never really silent anymore. People need to know Creighton is here. Please help spread the word by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes and leaving a positive review. Reviews are vital for exposure. People need to know the truth about Crazy Town.